I'm Casada Bowman. Today, my guest is John Seymour, the CEO and restaurateur of Little Sweet Chick. He joins us from New York. Like all of us in the restaurant industry, John's business, Sweet Chick, a full-service restaurant, took a hit in 2020 due to COVID. But despite dining restrictions, he jumped into survival mode and transformed all five locations into a new fast-casual model. We're going to talk about that, hip-hop, business, and how they're all connected. So I'll start by asking, as we always do, John, have you eaten yet? And if you have, what did you eat today? So I've been kind of doing like not really on purpose, but intermittent fasting. I don't know if you're familiar, but uh, I do that too. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So today I haven't eaten anything yet except for a coffee, but that's kind of been kind of normal for me. Or, you know, if I'm hungry, I will eat. And probably after this, this, the first thing I worked out this morning, I'll probably have a granola with some raspberries. And some nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Some chicken tastings later, though. So we'll it's the intermittent fasting. I've been doing that too. It's just kind of like how my body is, and also, yeah, kind of. also with work, like like you. You guys are now an old. You have an all day menu. So my restaurant is a daytime restaurant. So it's kind of like I'm not hungry till we close at two thirty. Till about the end of like that range is when my body like. Kind of like the 18 to 20 hour range for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I enjoy it. I find like I'm kind of a little bit, you know, moving a little bit faster in the morning and stuff and not as slow down, you know. For sure. But, but breakfast has definitely and probably still is still my favorite meal of the day. So I might be eating breakfast for lunch uh, a lot at times. And sometimes. Yeah. I, you know, so. Or for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of food. Little Sweet Chick is known for its chicken and waffles. But before we dive into all of that, I want to give listeners a quick rundown of what you dealt with in 2020 and your journey through COVID to where you are today. So spring 2020, many New Yorkers leave the city. You closed for a period of time. Most restaurants did. I closed my restaurant for almost three months. While all this is happening, a decent unemployment package becomes available. And a lot of people in the food industry are scared to return to work. So once you decide to reopen, you couldn't hire enough staff. And I really don't feel like enough people are talking about this because we all had to totally rethink our business. And personally, I had never dealt with this problem, the problem of people not wanting to work. I understand the fear and where they're coming from. But it's just not something that I ever anticipated. And nobody did. Nobody anticipated this pandemic. So it's during this time that you start turning towards more of a fast casual model, installing temporary walls, changing the menu, all with the goal of surviving now and thriving in the future. John, please expand on all of this and also tell me about the data that you've studied and the path you see for fast casual growth. Um, wow, that was an amazing setup. I mean, you know, it, 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 interesting that you've dealt with the same situation of actually, you know, the rehiring process and something I've said before. And, and most people don't wouldn't understand that part of it, I guess. And it makes sense because you're not in the restaurant business and you don't understand what it takes to run a restaurant. Um, you know, there's a lot of positions within a restaurant and, and as owners of restaurants and people who've worked in restaurants and you know, my father was a bartender. I've been doing this my whole life in one way or another. Um, we rely on people, right? We rely on people 
to show up to work, to fill the positions, um, and to do you know to do the jobs day in and day out that we need for the restaurants to to operate. Um, when they come to that screeching halt like they did, and we had to shut our doors, um, you know, one it was scary for us and scary for them. Um, you know, the determining factor for me to shut the doors was uh, one of our bartenders saying to me um, that she was bringing food home to her father, no, to her grandfather. Um, and at the time, it was prior to us shutting down, for everybody shutting down when it was mandated. Um, you know, I, I was reading, obviously watching the news and, and paying attention. And it was like, we're not supposed to be meeting elderly people, right, at that stage. And, and I kind of felt concerned now for my staff as well. So I'm starting to think, am I part of this problem at the moment? Is, is my pride or my, you know, determination to, to have a successful business? And this is my livelihood, our livelihoods. Um, so I called the shutdown probably like a couple of, like two days before, cause we were, now we were trying to just do delivery, which isn't our business model at the time mm-hmm. of this restaurant. So we're trying to figure it out. Um, and then after having that combo, it's like, we, let's just shut it all down. About two days later, three days later, I think it was Cuomo gave the word mandated shutdown. And I was just like, it is what it is. But coming back to work was hard. You know, first of all, you know, every, everybody, you know, when you have a single unit, um, you're focused on the single unit. When you have multiple units, you have to think of all of them, right? So we don't have the workforce to open five restaurants, right? Off, off that. I'm starting to ask people. Now, there are people that need it to work, right? Mm-hmm. So this is what I heard. This is my, you know, my personal s- story with it was there's some people that, you know, apply for jobs and, and give us documentation. And as long as that documentation works in the system, I'm fine with that, you know, and they can work and we can be employed here. Now, what happens when they file for unemployment and if a number doesn't match up or, you know, I, I, I don't know what happens, you know, but. Apparently- oh, <laughs> uh, let, let me just interrupt for for listeners, because I've been outspoken about this and no one's trying to get anyone in trouble. But what I've said, generally speaking, is there is no restaurant in this country that runs without undocumented people. And that has nothing to do with if you follow up by the books we can take down numbers, but people don't understand the difference. There's a TIN number, there's an EIN, you know, there's so many different numbers and you can do everything by the book, but then all of a sudden unemployment comes around. And what we all learned was even if we thought we were employing people by the books, they weren't getting that unemployment. Yes. And it's And then, you know, people are afraid to actually say that, right? So Exactly. And, and, and probably even more afraid now to say it to me who, you know, for lack of a better title now, I'm, I'm, I'm a quote unquote CEO because it's a multiple unit chain and, and I, you know, have the experience now that that dictates my title. So when, you know, I don't have the community, the, 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 the relationship maybe that I have as a single unit operator sometimes, and, and maybe I'm, you know, people are scared. They can't trust me to say, Hey, look, I'm not getting my, and so I heard that it came up the food chain as it does. Cause I obviously reached out and I wanted to make sure if anybody wasn't getting unemployment for one, the first day we have a ton of food going to waste. Let's make sure we use that as grocery store, grocery for our, for our employees, right? Yep. Especially the people that aren't, that need it. So we set that up. Um, and then it's the challenges to bring people back to work. So you hear people need to get back to work. So that was really the motivating factor for me as well was how do we do this? So I probably had enough people to do that to open up one location, but not even enough to open up the way we used to. And, and that goes back into the plan of how we opened up and, and 
you know, for one, I was faced with the challenge of, yes, there's not enough people that want to come back to work because of a fear. I will also say some people probably, you know, whether they like, <laughs> want to admit it or not, probably said to themselves, I'm making enough money on unemployment to just chill. And hey, no doubt. Thank hey, you for saying that. And hey, you know what? Amazing. Because you know yep. what? The people that, that have worked for the company, 250 people that worked for the company prior to the pandemic are part of my family. And some of them have dreams to become other things outside of the restaurant industry. And I like to support that, you know, and just like if you're getting enough money and you can make your decision to stay home, make your decision. And guess what? When the time comes back, I hope to hire, rehire those people in different positions, potentially, who knows if they're willing to work and they want to come back or maybe they'll do something else and follow a different career path as their life. And, 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 and they're entitled to that. So, you know, to, I guess, make it a little shorter, it was difficult to find people and, you know, Luckily for me, in a sense, I wasn't planning to reopen the restaurant fully anyway. I looked at it, and as we all know, first of all, I can't have people come sit down. Right, That's one of the primary challenges we were all faced with. We can't have people come inside the restaurant. Um, luckily, we installed these accordion windows when we first – that was part of the kind of design feature of the store was to be able to open that up in the spring and summer. Um, and I looked at, uh, I just looked at the storefront and I literally drew on a piece of paper, a window just, you know, and said, all right, let's set it up. We had the little Sweet Chick model, which is essentially a smaller version of Sweet Chick that we tested at City Field with the Mets. And that was something that I thought long-term was something that was a little more scalable and potentially something that could work. You know, um, we had a lot of success with it at City Field. We started in an incubation place and then we moved down to the main floor. We might've even moved some competition out of there. And, you know, it, the, the, the city seemed to respond and, and you know, the product was, was great. And I, I saw that there was a lane there. So I wanted to explore that more in general. Um, I took this time and said, look, uh, if there's ever an opportunity to do it, now's the time. I can't even hire enough people to open a single restaurant the way I used to. I can't have the people come in and eat it. Um, so let's let's try to really figure out what this menu really is and what this little, you know, little sweet chick or what this this hybrid version of what we used to do looks like and let's test it. Um, so that's what we did. We opened up at the Bedford store, which was our original store in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Um, and, and, you know, I, <clears throat> you know, we put a projection together out of desperation to say, how do we survive this? Right. Um, and, you know, we were very, very conservative as to the sales numbers we thought we might do because we're not a highly deliverable business. Um, that's not, one of our core things and, and we're very experiential business. So how do you flip it to the opposite of like a very short experience um, and still providing quality food and, 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 and having return customers. So that was what we focused in on. Um, luckily the sales spoke for themselves and we beat the original projections at the first store, which allowed me to say, let's continue this and let's see who else wants to come back to work. Who else wants to come back to work? Some people went off of their unemployment and came straight back to work. Because some people look at it, you know, and, and that everybody has to make a decision for themselves. You know, like some people thought, hey, if I don't go back to work now, there might not be a job for me one day. And that's not what I was telling people, of course, but we don't know what the future is going to hold. Um, so that's kind of where we went with that and, and, and kind of slowly but surely reopened all five stores to this model. Still currently now in L.A., we have one store in L.A., you still can't go inside there. You still can't go inside New York. I mean, we had this summertime and sales definitely went up. And I noticed, um, you know, it was kind of exciting for me in the sense that 
I've got an opportunity now to test the model that I've really wanted to test for some time. Um, and the results came back pretty positive. And now I'm taking that and building on that. Um, so, you know, in, in a nutshell, I guess that's kind of how we kind of pivoted uh, in a sense, obviously a lot more work went into it. Um, but that was the thought process. And, and, you know, now I'm at a point where as we come out of this, I don't want to, you know, this might be a, a different question, but as we come out of this, how do I put people, more people to work, back to work? Um, because people will need to get work and hopefully we're going to get more stimulus checks. And, and I hope that's the way it goes. And I hope the, you know, the people are going to be able to kind of relax and not feel so stressed to have to feel like they have to feed their families throughout the middle of the pandemic, because, you know, the people that have showed up to work, I have to commend them. You know, I mean, it's, it's scary. The whole thing is scary. You know, this year has been a reset and a, a time for people to, to really, you know, figure out what's important to them as well. So so you see fast casual moving forward. Do you see it as something that we're going to see more of? Um, yeah. I mean, fast casual obviously has had the boom because of the speed of the transaction, of course. Um, but the comp- I think the competition is going to heat up even more. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, I think just uh, this whole this whole this whole period has given everybody a time to reflect on what's important and that goes down to what we're consuming and, and who, who we're supporting and what businesses we're, we're behind. And there's, it's a huge market. I mean, especially for me, I'm in the chicken space. And as we know, the chicken wars and the chicken sandwich stuff that's going on. And I don't really pay too much attention to it because I like to just focus on what it is that we're doing. But I see the space and the space is the, the quick service or fast casual space. And, you know, for scale, if you want to grow a company, it's, a, it's definitely a way. And if you want to keep your labor in control. Which was really, you know, for us, you know, restaurateurs, it's you know, labor is a, is a, is another thing that often goes unlooked, you know, I mean, and, or unspoken about. It's it's a big part of our business. It's a big part of the of, of the money that goes out of the business. So finding ways to be more efficient to still serve your product um, is, is is extremely important, especially in times like this when we know the, the margins are so small. It's amazing that this pandemic definitely showed that to us because it's my husband's a chef and I run front of house and the same thing. We dealt with the same thing. We opened our first restaurant together as well. That's what I read. Pops Burgers? Pops, yeah. Yeah. Um, So it's the same thing where we dealt with that. We dealt with, okay, people want to stay on unemployment or whatever. You know, it's hard to get people back. We did have a core that came back. Um, same exact thing, you know, we had, you know, on, on every level that you spoke of. Um, but then it was amazing for us. We also had to redesign our menu and, you know, we 50% capacity. We're on Long Island. So we do have indoor dining. It's 50% capacity, but you know, were people going to be doing more takeout as well? We had to, you know, redesign the menu for that and less staff. And it boggles my mind now. Now I'm like, what? I, I can run this restaurant with five people only, you know, like I, I just want to see, see how many people we can run the restaurant with. Now it's like something like in my head that I'm constantly looking at because it was amazing to see, Oh my God, I can do a B and C and my husband can do this. And we only need X amount of staff members. And we had so many people we were employing before. Yeah. Which is, which is amazing. And I think for us restaurateurs, it's something that we take pride in. Um, you know, maybe I, I, 
you know, my, my father was in the hospitality business and it, I derive it from there, but, you know, also got a million people jobs. And that was always important to me. Like, and it's still important to me and especially now in, in the situation we're in. And, and, it, and it's a sense of pride to say, wow, we got a big, you know, staff here and everybody, but you know, there's also a business side of it. And unfortunately, 50% dining, 0% dining is not enough dining for us to be operationally and operating the way we were. Um, you know, when people, and I, I almost want to interrupt you there when you say, oh, Long Island has 50%. And most people might be like, oh, well, they, they got people to sit. And it's 50% dining is not enough dining for us to, 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 run, to, to run the numbers, to run the math. I mean, we're, we're hoping that we have 100% people eating in the restaurants at all times, right? That's the goal. Right. Never achievable, but you know, we have our times, lunch and and dinner. And those are the times. And for you, if it's a daytime spot, you have your specific mornings and lunches. Mm-hmm. And if, if you can only seat 50% of the people, that also means that probably not everybody's also coming out to eat. There's a pandemic guys. So it's tough every way, every way you slice it. Um, and for us as restaurateurs to find efficiencies, just like other businesses do, we had to figure it out. And We'll continue doing that. And I think there will be new trends from this. Um, yeah. And and definitely, as you said, it's like that leads to fast casual, but even even full service dining, um, I think people will be taking even, you know, whether they're designing the menus, they'll be taking a lot more consideration into things in respect to labor costs now. Yeah. Because we've been forced to cut labor. Yes. Yeah. I mean, many times we're we're looking at every little thing like we were overextending ourselves with different menu items, different um, different drinks on the bar menu, e- everything. You know, you look at everything. This pandemic has been a really good learning experience. Yeah, yeah. you know, in that yeah. respect. Agree. I mean, I, I mean, that's you know that, but that's also you know uh, the sign of an optimist, I guess. You know, is that we're going to have to and, and an entrepreneur. And if you want to be a successful entrepreneur, I'm assuming. I've read it enough times and it must be true that you have to be an optimist and figure out uh, how to solve problems, right? Consistently. Um, so, so, you know, you know, cheers to you and cheers to me, I guess. <laughs> well, to go back to what you said um, with the 50% or the hundred percent, you know, for people who aren't necessarily in the food industry, and this is what I say to customers when they say, Oh, how's business. And I say, imagine your salary just got cut in half. That's how we're operating, you know. When when you look at percentages, or when people in the who aren't who are just diners hear these numbers from their governor, it's like that means this. Yeah. Look at your paycheck. How does yeah. that affect you? And in a lot of cases, and cases that I know, and I have friends, and you know, in the neighborhoods that I have restaurants, I know a lot of the guys that operate there. And some of the some of their cases, it's not fifty percent uh, um, salary reduction; it's negative salary reduction because now they're in debt. Right. Right. So, so restaurants that were in debt with their vendors, as we all are, because we, you know, we all work on a monthly closeout on once, and this is what it is. We get, you know, get the, the food up front and we pay it back, and it's just a cycle. Um, and then we stopped, and now we have loans, and now we, you know, oh, over the PPP, and we still got to figure that aside out of it. And, you know, think about the, all the mom and pops in the world that, uh, and speaking of pop, my first restaurant, my wife pops, it's a learning curve. Right, the whole the whole business, every business is a learning curve, and the more you're in it, the more you know. But think about the mom and pops that don't know. Probably, did, I, I was th- thinking about the mom and pops. The first round of PPP when it came out, I was like, how? Like, I know you know plenty of 60, 70 year old people out here that barely know how to use an iPhone, let alone fill out a PPP application these days. You know, they 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 had the the 
you know, the energy to open up a business, whether that be a small local spot that they run and, and they don't know how to do some of these other things. And maybe they just got left in the dust. Yeah. You know? and, and we still haven't heard about them, you know? And so there's a lot of people and I've seen other restaurateurs like, like, I think we're, 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 we're great examples of people that have been able to pivot maybe and, and figure it out or at least stay alive and, and, and keep going. But there's, there's a lot of stories that maybe we haven't heard about. You know, we, we, we glance on them, but you know, the restaurant business is difficult and the, 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 you know, what you take home as a restaurant, if you're, if you're profitable, right. For right. If you're profitable, um, you know, and now you throw this into the mix, it's like the salary is gone and, and you know, the, the, the profit margin is gone and now you're left with debt. Right. <laughs> and it depends where, what state you're in, if they pass the specific law that lets you walk away from a guarantor's lease or not, you know, mm-hmm. they have it. California doesn't. New York does the 1932A Act. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff that, you know, hey, man, it's, it's, it's a difficult business. And, and luckily, you know, we maybe get to share some of the better parts of it, but there's a lot of even worse parts and stuff that, unfortunately, I don't have the time to really look at it all. But, you know, I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot of tragic stories uh, over yeah. the next couple of years, too. Well, even with the PPP, our accountant said something probably a month ago. He was like, we have to wait and see with the transition, you know, but at that moment, a month ago, we were going to be faced. We got, we got second round of the PPP loan and the tax bill. I was like, wait, what? Like, like owing on that, like that's something that we didn't even think about, you know, we're we're literally like, Oh wow. You guys are about to give us something because as restaurateurs, I'm sorry, we don't really get much from this. Right. You typically just get sued. By people, you know, I don't know. It just happened. Yeah. Government isn't very friendly to to us, as it seems. But you know, we're like, yes, we'll take the money. I don't care what we have to sign. We need to survive. You know, and and people, you know, they don't know what they're getting themselves into. And now you're stuck with something else, and you didn't manage your payroll properly, and you spent the money on something else that you needed to spend the money on because you got it. I mean, yeah. there's going to be a ton of stories that come out, and yeah. You know, I, like when he told us that, like we were we were in a semi good place, you know, because honestly, because we both are own and operating. We're there every day so we can absorb that labor cost. But I can only imagine when we got that. I was pissed. I was like, what? Are you yeah, fucking kidding me? That, yeah. Right. But we could kind of absorb that. And I, but I was still pissed. So imagine someone who didn't have that foresight and isn't there or di- different circumstances so and they have, right. And then they have this outrageous tax bill, like crazy. I mean, opening a business, a small business, like a restaurant in the hospitality, like a restaurant, coffee shop, any, any of these services, these things that have been devastated by this is, you know, is one of the most uh, democratic or capitalist or whatever they white picket fence. You know, my, my parents are immigrants, right? So I always imagine like that's the that's the thing that is is what makes America, right? And you know, the mom and pops and the people at the lower end of that side are probably the people that will be the most devastated by it because mm-hmm. they weren't able to like get around whatever it was and and maybe weren't capitalized enough or what you know. And, and that's the tough part, right? So like the young, the young entrepreneur and myself, even that might not have been able to weather the storm in my first business, right? right. You, you don't know. It's, 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 a, it's a tough situation. And you, again, there's so many different circumstances. Yeah. Well, in real quick with the PPP, something that I just read. So the second round, we just, now you can do three and a half percent time times your uh, 
2020 or 2019 revenue. And so I'm looking at everything, which I still can't, even if we wanted to take advantage, like where we're with Chase, it's still not open to Chase, for example. So it's just so interesting. It opened last week, but we still haven't been notified that we can even apply yet if we wanted to. But one of the interesting things is to get back to the immigration status, you know, undocumented people. It says in something I read that you can actually, there's space in this second round or third round now, the PPP, second version, to give funds to undocumented workers, which is like, wait a minute. This is like wild to me because, you know, we do everything by the books and Department of Labor. It's like, okay, so I can give this PPP money to undocumented workers technically, like it's actually stated in this, but how does that even work with the Department of Labor? You know what I mean? Like, it's just... It'll be for us to find out. And if we mess up, it'll be our, us to pay as well. You know, I mean, it's now with that said, and, and it, it, it reminds me of something else that like when within the city with all the outdoor dining stuff that happened, you know, the government will put in and, and, and you know, little mandates or little not mandate. That's not a mandate, but like little things that, you know, now we can pay an undocumented worker and and with the outdoor seating and they sent out a first uh, version of what it's supposed to be. So you do it because we need to get this stuff going, right? So now you dot, you give this money to somebody. Now, now it's for us to figure out later how that works. And right. the only thing happened in New York with the outdoor dining was they said, okay, everybody can take storefronts. And then next thing you know, they came around and gave tickets to everybody. No. <laughs> I mean, it was left and right in the city. And then they're taking the video. So like, it's challenging. And I know Cuomo got, got uh, uh, everybody was mad. You know, there's a lot of people mad about a lot of things, but you know, it is what it is. And also, we also have to take into consideration the government, the country, nobody's ever gone through this either. So we're all trying to figure it out and we kind of have to just bear with it at times and yeah. check and double check on some of the things they send us to make sure we're doing it correctly. So we don't have yeah. to do it twice and be mad that they, you know, we just built this whole thing. Now we got to build this whole thing again and you're giving me a ticket and I got to, now we got to do more work and I got to send photos to prove that it's good. I'm like, get out of here. Leave me alone. Let me run my business. I'm not allowed to have anybody inside. Like, you know, but yeah everybody's got to figure it out, you know, even the government. And it's, uh, you know, it's been challenging, man. I, 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 I'll say if, if, if these funds all come in, uh, I'll be happy to say, you know, at least at some point that, you know, something was done and, and we figured it out. At least we were, a lot of us were able to survive. So for sure, sometimes I still got to just keep that gratitude. <laughs> no, no doubt. Well, let's move into music, something with a little bit lighter. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So one of the unique things that intrigued me about your business is the blending of music and food. This combination plays a large role in hospitality. You know, I love when customers give us props on our music while they're dining with us because I take time to curate those playlists, but also food and music vibe off each other. Um, many, 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 many years ago, I worked in the music industry as Little Kim's personal assistant and actually lived with her during the recording of her third album. So I got to see how connections are formed and blossom in a business and, you know, kind of when you move in those circles, how that all rolls. And you partnered with Nas, one of the best MCs of all time, which was like, what? Like, I have to interview this guy. This is such a fascinating little fact. 
So for two of your locations, Naz is your partner in Queens, of course, where he's from, and Los Angeles. So I'm really fascinated. How did you initially connect with him and then ultimately decide to go into business together? And also, if you could share what's the best piece of advice that Nas has ever given you. Well, I'll, I'll correct you because people do. I, I often hear that uh, Nas is involved in the Queens and the LA, but Nas is involved in all the restaurants. He's involved in the oh. company. Yeah, yeah, he's my business partner in all the restaurants. Um, but how did uh, what was the question? How did we? How did that just happen? Right. Well, yeah. Like, how did you initially connect with him first? Yeah. Well, I mean, music. Uh, I'll just take it real quick. Music obviously is important and, you know, kind of the concept uh, behind the restaurant, as I was informed, I'm obviously a big music guy and grew up in New York. So hip hop is kind of second nature. And Nasra was my favorite rapper growing up. Um, you know, I love Little Kim and I love Big, um, but Nas is my favorite rapper. But, um, you know, Chicken and Waffles was invented in Harlem in the jazz clubs. Um, you know, from what I was told, it was from M. Wells and, and, uh, a guy, jazz musician went into the kitchen and said, I don't know if I want breakfast or dinner. Um, the chef that was working said, I have fried chicken left over and I can make waffles. So the birth to me, as far as the story I was told and, and I read as well, that um, it was birth around music, right? The food itself, um, you know, it be, you know, chicken and waffles and even just part of that whole story is probably why the dish itself is, what it is and why why it, it lends itself to our restaurant because it's a day thing and a night thing you know uh, i know earlier i actually mentioned i was like yeah breakfast is my favorite uh, meal of the day um and you know chicken and waffles kind of seems like a vehicle that can be in daytime and nighttime and based on that story it makes sense so when we developed the restaurant i was like you know I knew restaurants that kind of had specialized in chicken and waffles but i was like i want to make a neighborhood spot that has a cocktail program you know, we can, we can, you know, use that dish as like a platform as our like, you know, and, and kind of build around that, which is why, you know, we do a lot of different flavors with it, of course, but also let's build a, a menu where the customer base, which is a really a community restaurant, a neighborhood spot. I lived down the block when we opened the first one. I want people to be able to come here two, three times a, a week. So, and the idea was you're going to come in, you're going to, you know, you might come for the chicken waffles, which a lot of people did. And you might look around and say, oh, man, that guy's eating something over there. That, that looks good. And maybe I'll come back here and I can come here just to get a drink. I can bring a friend. So more of a full service kind of experiential kind of place. Um, music just happened to be important to everybody that myself and everybody that worked there. All right. So we just kind of like brought people like our staff and everybody together. And it wasn't really like a conscious decision to say let's marry the two in a sense it just was a natural decision i guess so it uh you know i think music and the restaurant kind of became like almost symbiotic with the whole just everything that we had brought to the table together just made sense um and uh yeah so that that's how music really has been like infused and kind of ingrained within the restaurant um, you know, we've also been kind of branching and doing live music stuff where we've had people come in, you know, the first thing was our one year anniversary, you know, I was like kind of last minute threw something together and, um, you know, I had Raekwon come through from Wu-Tang and it was a big thing. It was fun. And, and we've done a bunch of other different things where we got, uh, this group called bad, like all types of stuff. But like one of interesting things was this group called bad, bad, not good. They're this band from California. I mean, from uh, Canada. I'm familiar. Yeah. They set up a, and this is kind of 
this was pretty early, you know, and they set up their drums and somehow my friend linked me with, um, you know, somebody who knew Slick Rick. And then next thing I know, Slick Rick outside. And I was like, whoa, these guys learned the music. And that, you know, they're a professional, you know, they're like, a, you know, you're familiar with them. So these guys know how to play, but they had never met, you know, and, uh, you know, Rick, Rick, I mean, I could tell the story is crazy because he got the chains. I'm in the car. I'm like, oh, man, I, he didn't have the chains. And I was like, oh, he didn't bring the gold chains. He put them on. He comes in, performs the song with that, with that, bad, not good. And I'm like, who does this, man? This is amazing. Um, with a live band inside the store, like random, just for a little thing. So music is just, it's fun. And it's something that like, you know, just like food brings people together, you know? And so like, we've always tried to do things, whether it be like a food collabs and stuff to bring it together. Music is an integral part. Um, so to the Nas point. Um, so we had opened up two locations at that stage and, and I met one of Nas's business partners. Um, and just talking in talking, like, he could be interested in this. And then it was his friends had heard about the spot and they, you know, they said it's dope. Next thing I know I'm standing in front of the guy and we're talking and, you know, we kind of, it just kind of became more of like a, I think he, he liked what the restaurant was about. Um, he was into it. Um, I think, you know, you know, me and him got along, obviously I'm, I'm a New Yorker. So, so was he, so there's, there's that. And, um, you know, I think he thought it was a good business decision, of course. And that's kind of uh, evolved into a friendship business relationship and, and you know, and, and an amazing story, too, because for Nas, who's also, you know, recognized as in the hip hop community as such a, a real dude and very, very true to like his, you know, to himself and his nature to be able to say, you know, he can kind of get involved in a lot of things and, and for him to say, hey, I want to get involved in this is pretty important, I thought, and special. So that was very special. Yeah. When yeah. you think of Nas and all of his wisdom and well, how far reaching he is, you know, type of guy. So like, you know, I'd say that, you know, him getting involved also maybe put a little battery in my back as well, of course. And it definitely obviously helped elevate the brand. But but just knowing that, like, you know, when you when you think of somebody, you hold somebody in regard in, in, in a specific place, you would say, you know, it's 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 a it's a credit to the business, really, to say this guy wants to get involved. And and I say he says, says the same thing. You know, we've been on phone calls in the past and on a business thing. And, you know, you know, he's the same thing. He's like, Sweet Chick was dope before I even got there, man. He's just like, I'm just, you know. So it's it's just it's it's a cool, cool, you know, story and, and you know, amazing opportunity for me to be a part of. So. Awesome. I was grateful for that. Um, so could you share maybe what's the best piece of advice that he has ever given or feedback or anything that has influenced you? Um, I mean, so much stuff just cause like outside of the restaurant stuff too, like I'd say, but, um, I, I think kind of like the best thing and his advice is really more about like leading by his like example in a certain sense, like, you know, again, and, and it goes back to, you know, the, him him wanting to invest in the company and, and looking at that and saying, you know, here's a guy of high character and he's deciding to do that, that, you know, I think the way he moves like that, he doesn't jump out of the window for just anything has probably also helped me. And that's kind of the stuff where the advice is like, sometimes you can, you can get two tunnel vision on things. And I think when, especially when it comes to success, you don't need to always like, you know, jump 
on to everything. Sometimes you got to make sure that you're just comfortable for who, what you're doing and what we're about. So that's like, I think in the business probably leans, leads me in a little bit of the business to also just focus on what we're doing and not really concern ourselves too much with what everybody else is doing. Um, we always, I, I mean, I'm somebody who observes everything. Mm-hmm. I try to, I try to get as much information on a daily basis on everything. So, you know, but, but also you got to focus and, you know, and it's, it's a probably a similar quality I've had, but I think he kind of, uh, lends to that as well. And maybe like solidifies that as a, a, a way of being, you know? Well, and I feel like also if you look at his music and you look at the great, look at the greatest MCs, you know, and you kind of transfer music and food, it's the same thing. Like what you're saying, he's always, he observes, yeah. But when he drops an album or a single, it is so tunnel vision, like yeah, nothing. That, yeah. That's not. Nice. He does him. And, you know, look, the guy, you know, without it's not even needed to say, but the guy's been in the business for long enough and he's up for a Grammy for his album this year. So, you know, uh, that can do its own talking for itself, you know, and I hope yeah. that, in my opinion, he'll probably win it. But yeah you know that'll and, and if he doesn't he'll be fine if he does he'll, he'll, he'll be fine too you know that's the thing it's like you just focus on your craft i think and 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 stay in your lane and make sure you do what you you know not stay in your lane but like you know know who you are it's, it reminds me it's funny it reminds me of a similar thing my father used to tell me about you know uh, an, an analogy he used to use about racehorses you know come parents are irish and horses are very important in our history right so it, you know, it's uh, why do the horses wear blinders, you know, to you don't need to be doing this all the time. You need to focus on what you're doing and, and, and run your race, um, you know, in life. And it kind of can be used across the board for a lot of things. Definitely. I tell my kids that too. It's <laughs> a good one. Well, I just want to talk about your brand. Um, so as a brand, when I was looking you guys up and and what I've just noticed throughout the years with you guys is you seem to be more than food, even more than music. You know, you talked about the music, but almost unapologetically so. And what I mean by that is in any industry, everything is more than whatever said company is selling because there are people with opinions behind every brand. But we often find out about those opinions late. But your brand seems to put intent and beliefs out there from the start, which I really appreciate. Um. And I'm going to bring in another company to use as an example. And this is more to drive home the point, especially now more than ever, the importance of how to spend your money. Um, So when I hear Chick-fil-A, I think homophobic. I think Trump. Two things I'm not down for. If I want fast, casual chicken, I'd rather not support them. People don't always realize the reality that if you're buying Chick-fil-A, remember that their CEO supports Trump's campaigns and anti-LGBTQ organizations. And that means he gives his money to those campaigns and organizations and he makes his money from customers buying his chicken. So knowing that Little Sweet Chick is out there and essentially the anti-Chick-fil-A, I know where I want to spend my money if given the option. Plus, you guys are open on Sunday. But there really is a reckoning happening in America. And I say this, we're recording the day after inauguration. Um, Slowly and long overdue, this reckoning is happening. Um, I'm so grateful that it's happening as a woman of color. Um, Where you spend your money 
says everything. And I just really want to drive this point home. It's a very powerful act. So John, I want you to tell us more about your brand and what it stands for. You know, that's, that's, uh, you know, that's kind of everything in a sense, right? So it's, 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 it's strategic to not, um, you know, bash anybody that you're in competition with in a sense for me, because I like to run my race and not focus on the rest, but I, but I observe, I observe, as I said earlier, right? I said that I observe and I know what they're about. Um, and I know what I'm about. And as a business, sometimes the business can have a specific voice itself and you got to be careful, right? Because in this day and age, things that you say can be anything you say can, you know, everybody has an opinion, especially out there in, in, in the world. So a brand sometimes has to just be the brand, right? And sometimes the person who's running the brand um, might have a different type of purpose in life, you know, and align himself with something or him or herself with something different. Um, and, you know, their company, the company you mentioned, they, you know, stand for a specific thing. And their CEO is, is uh, you know, from what I understand, a very religious person. I believe that dictates a lot of their there are ways, you know, but I also think in what you alluded to is that this day and age is it's a, it's a different world we're, we're looking at, you know, and, and I think uh, for me, especially and my purpose and something that I'm intend to do is um, and something that I see in this country that's wrong is there's a lot of hate in the country. Um, now, I can't speak for those of the different CEOs, what they hate or what they don't like or what they disapprove of or what what religiously drives them or what personally or what insecurities drive them or whatever it is. Um, but I, I do, I do have to, you know, I mean, I have, I have my own kind of vision for our business and, and, you know, that part of that is really to be bringing people together, um, and to, you know, to really kind of stamp out hate when we see it in a sense. Um, you know, I'm a white man in America. I'm a CEO. Um, you know, I'm sure I've, you know, I, I, I know I've received white privilege along the way as well. And I'm also, you know, I have three children. And so I assume I'm heterosexual. Right? I mean, I know I'm heterosexual, but to the outside world, that's what I look like, a white man that's heterosexual, right? Very different from what we're discussing. I employ people of all color and every background because I don't think about it. It's not, it's really a non-issue for me personally, but in a sense that it's a non-issue that I try not to look at that, but I do know that it's a real issue. That's the difference. And, you know, I intend to build my business like I've been building my business. And I intend to also build my business to a lot of locations similar to those other businesses you mentioned. Um, and I'm not scared to do that. And I'm going to try to do that. And I'm actively trying to do that. Um, and part of our business will be to spread love as we do. And as I mentioned to you earlier, I know you work with little Kim, you know, big as a, as a, as a, as an artist has influenced our whole hospitality style, you know, um, went from negative to positive and it's all good. I mean, that's what happens when a customer comes in. I mean, this is the stuff we talk about. This is life. So, so, and, and this is life that I've lived around me. You know, I'm from New York city. I've been friends with people from all backgrounds, sexualities and, and all differences, you know, and, and the differences is what I think makes us great. And, I intend as the CEO of my company to kind of continue to lead by example, right? And show you what we're about. 
And what we're going to be about is inclusion and, you know, not separating. You know, I think in the past day, I probably haven't been more proud to be an American ever, you know, and my country, my parents aren't from this country, you know, um, my parents are from Ireland, and, you know, you know, it's a, you know, we luckily, you know, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a weird thing this day and age to be an American. And I'd like to be an example of what an American should be, um, you know, and, and, and how an American business should run. Um, so, you know, we're going to try to do take steps. You know, we're only five restaurants. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I'm trying to bite off a lot, but I, I intend to be a business that's kind of in the future to, to kind of be an anti, um, you know, anti kind of what we've seen in the past, in a sense. I don't understand why somebody would not want to hire somebody from the LBG community. It doesn't make sense to me. Right. I mean, it, to be honest with you, it's just, it's, I just, uh, I don't know. It's unexplainable to me that that's something that actually exists. <laughs> well, look, at you, you're, I think you're shortchanging yourself. You're saying that you're only five, you know, locations deep, but that you do have the foresight and, and hope that you can, you know, spread out more. Um, and just how powerful when I hear that, I'm thinking you are inclusive. So imagine all of the different people who may want to buy franchises from you. And want to have that brand and be proud of that. They're not going to feel like, oh, no, I, I don't know if, if, if he'll want me to have this location, you know? I mean, how about if we, if we were to franchise and we actually gave better opportunities to people that were under, underserved or underprivileged? I mean, that could be an interesting thing, too, right? I mean, right. you know, obviously, the economics of a business will have to dictate how you move, right? Like, we have to still maintain a profitable business and we have to still be but why can't you also spread love and do the right thing at every turn when you can, right? I mean, if you can, if you can, we can't all do everything, right? You know, it's just, it's not, that's not possible. But as we grow and, and for this company that I have, um, you know, I intend to grow this company in the right way, you know, when, when, when we can and do the right thing when we can. Does that mean we're going to be outspoken on every single topic? I don't think it's our place. If I ever run for office, then yeah, at that stage, then that, that, that could be my job. You know, that'll be something that I do. If I ever start, if I'm ever on a talk show, I'll give you guys my opinions. If once right. people actually want my opinion, I'll start giving it, no problem. You know, but currently I'm running a business and, and it's my intention to, to run my business with a purpose and to, and to be part of the solution. That's it. You know, and, and yeah, of course, I'm here to make money for myself and support my family and support my friends and make money for other people as well and create jobs. I think, I think it's quite simple. Don't promote hate. That's all. It's, and, and it's so crazy when you say I think it's quite simple because I almost want to say, yeah, it's just that simple. But it's just also so difficult for some people. And, and most of those people and, 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 and why I reference that I'm a white man, because if I'm not on a podcast, I don't know. I'm looking at a lot of those people these days. You know, what are we doing? It's not that hard. What what are we so mad about? This country, isn't this country supposed to be built on people come like like helping people come to this country and get ahead? Isn't that what it's supposed to be about? You know, outside outside of that, I don't, it seems as if we're just trying to suppress everybody. Right. Hey man, or oppress everybody, whatever that, you know. And I'm not a I'm not a doctor. I don't have a doctorate or an education in this field. I just call it like I see it, man. And there's a lot of you know, that hate you, you got to go. 
John, thank you for sharing your story with us. I like ending the podcast by asking if there's any takeaway that you'd like to leave with listeners that can positively influence their lives. It could be something that we just discussed, a pro tip, or general life advice that you live by. You know, find ways to have a little more empathy um, and, and, you know, consideration for what other people are going through, especially people that aren't as in a position um, that you're in, you know, um, and, and if you, if you can do that, I mean, to me, that's, it's just so important. It's, it's like kind of, it's the same thing we went through with the restaurant business, with employees, with just pe- treating people with humanity, um, you know, stomping out hate when you can, um, you know, being true to yourself and, 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 uh, you know, I think that's, you know, in a nutshell, there's a whole bunch there, but I think we just need to be kinder to each other. And I think we need to step into each other's shoes a little bit more. Um, I'll, I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to shout out one thing cause I saw it last night and I, and I know the guy There's a movie out there, American skin. I think we all need to watch that movie. It's pretty great. Um, Nate Parker directed and wrote that. Uh, I thought it was pretty good, man. I just had a friend post about it, but I didn't read. What's it about? Um, you kind of got to see it, but it's it's definitely of the time. It's you know, it's just a very it's a it's a it's a thought provoking movie about the times. I think you know, I, I just thought it was pretty interesting uh, after awesome. our conversation too. I thought it was just a great movie to watch. So that's a to- pro pro tip. Go watch that movie. I'm gonna watch it tonight. Amer- American Skin, everyone. American Skin. All right, John. Where can people follow you? What is it, John? At John P Seymour? No, at John Seymour NYC on Instagram. Oh, Sweet Chick Life on Instagram. And uh, yeah, that's it. Perfect. Well, thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, subscribe to Have You Eaten Yet, wherever you get your podcasts.